Hey there, I'm Christopher Dorabek, the Dorabek Insider, and welcome to GovLoop's Dorabek Insider, where we focus on six words helping government do its job better. And today, we're continuing our conversations with the finalists for the 2016 Service to America medals, the SAMIs, of course, the esteemed awards program sponsored by the Partnership for Public Service, which recognizes remarkable work done by career federal employees. And we're so lucky that we get to talk to these incredible public servants. Today, well, today we're talking, oh my God, we're, we're talking about hurricanes. It's hurricane season. We're in the midst of it. And whenever there's a hurricane, God forbid, uh, whenever we hear about these planes that fly into hurricanes to gather all sorts of data about the hurricane, right? Uh, it seems terrifying to me, but people do it. Well, one of the people who does it, in fact, one of the deans of this program, James McFadden, he is chief of programs and projects for NOAA's Aircraft Operations Center, uh, and he's a finalist in the career achievement category. He's been a Fed for five decades. My goodness, I can't even imagine. Uh, and I warned him before that I'm a total weather geek, and so uh, I'm th I'm thrilled that I get to talk to uh, Dr. Jim McFadden. Uh, thrilled that you're here. So I I, uh, I, I want to know what it's like to fly into a hurricane. But first, why do we do this? Why why take a plane and fly? It, it seems uh, it, it just seems crazy, frankly. Um, so why do, why do this? Why is this important? There are several reasons, Chris. As, you're, as a weather geek, uh, uh, you'll appreciate this. Uh, when you forecast a hurricane uh, out three, four, five, six days, uh, you've got to start with a precise position for that hurricane. And the only way you can get the precise position as you're running your model is to send an airplane into the eye of the storm, locate its center, and report that information back. And then there's all the other information that comes with it, the winds and the turbulence and the, and all of that kind of information that are transmitted back. So uh, the airplane is the last line of uh, uh, force here that uh, you need in a storm to collect the uh, the information that the forecasters need to predict where the storm's going to go. And so when do you decide that it's important to fly a plane into it? You don't do it for all storms, right? That is correct. Uh, there are certain uh, guidelines that uh, the Hurricane Center uses and our research partners also use, because we do both research and uh, reconnaissance. Uh, the Hurricane Center usually waits until the storm looks like it's about three days away from landfall of the U.S. or even the uh, Mexican coast, and then they'll ask uh, either us or the Air Force to fly into the storm. The research guys, they have their own thing that they like to do. Uh, they're trying to figure out what uh, makes up these storms and how they tick. So they'll ask us to go uh, uh, do genesis studies, uh, things of that nature, uh, look at emergency, emerging technology, uh, using special instrumentation that no other aircraft has on it, uh, dropping drones into the eye of the storm, things like that. So all of those kinds of things we do with the airplanes. And uh, I must admit that uh, being around 50 years, I've seen quite a change, and it's all been very exciting. I, I was going to, I want to get to that, but I, I, one of the changes, it has to have been drones, because this, it, it, it seems like we can fly drones in there in a way that, so we don't have to put people in danger. Is that is that one of the changes that you've seen? Well, that's one that's coming along, certainly. Uh, we have a drone that we can drop out of the aircraft uh, once it's free of the aircraft, it spreads its wings and the motor starts uh, running and it will fly down into the lowest levels of the uh, hurricane 
uh, down around 300, 500 feet, which is where we certainly don't want to be in a manned aircraft. Right. So there's a lot of information down there that, that uh, uh, forecasters and researchers have not had the opportunity to see uh, over the years. So now they're going to be able to collect that data, and, and that ought to be a real help to understanding to a better understanding of what's going on in those storms. I want to get to the technology and the, the changes that you've seen and all those kinds of things, but how many, well, first off, how many times have you done this? How many times have you actually flown into a storm? Uh, well, I'm, I Do don't keep, keep the records, but, well, I don't, but somebody does, and they tell me it's 575 times. Oh, my goodness. Times. So explain to those of us who, uh, who I, I'm never going to do this. So explain, what is this experience like where you're flying into, I mean, this is a monster storm. These are some of the most powerful th forces on Earth, and you're taking a plane into one. What is this experience like? Is it scary? Is it, what's it like? Well, it, it can be, cover the whole gamut. Uh, the whole range of emotions. Uh, the first time you penetrate any particular storm, you're very apprehensive because you don't know what you're going to run into. And I hate to use the word run into because occasionally you do run into things that you just soon not. But uh, most storms, uh, I call them fairly routine. But then again, that's from my perspective. Uh, you probably wouldn't. Right. Uh, some storms uh, are just absolute bears to, to fly into uh, a storm that's uh, starting to intensify rapidly uh, can be very, 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 very uh, hard to fly into, like Hurricane Patricia last year in the eastern Pacific that we flew into. Uh, I mean, it, uh, it was enough. The guys almost said it's time to go home. Yeah. But uh, so, and surprisingly, you find a storm like Hurricane Katrina, a Category 5 storm. Right. Out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, you'd say, oh, God, I don't want to go out there and fly into that. But after a storm reaches its peak and starts to weaken, even though it's still a Category 5, it can be very uh, pleasant to fly into, you know, not a whole lot of turbulence. Huh. But uh, these these little storms that start to wrap up very rapidly, um, those are the ones that can get you... Uh, when you least expect it. It's, it's, oh, they're almost exploding. I mean, it, it, that's the way I, it looks on, on some of the satellite technology. You know, it just looks like they're almost exploding, for goodness sakes. Yeah, it's, it feels that way, too. It's incredible stuff. Do you remember specific storms over, over the years that, that you've been watching? Are there, are there ones that are more interesting than others? Well, it, it, to be honest with you, every storm is different. Uh, and you, you find that... Uh, what you thought might happen in any one storm doesn't. And so uh, sometimes they catch you off guard. But there are a couple storms that I remember vividly because of uh, you know, the extreme turbulence we encountered, one of them being uh, Hugo in 1989. Uh, and, and that was certainly set me back quite a bit. But uh, Set you back because? Because, you know, we almost uh, lost the plane. Well. And I happen to be on it. That's the bad part. <laughs> and and so, those moments have to be just uh, just terrifying, right? Yes, they are. And uh, uh, to be honest with you, the most terrifying moment I ever had on one of our airplanes was not in a hurricane. It was in the North Atlantic at night. Uh, we were doing a project uh, for satellite uh, calibration and validation, and uh, it was in the winter. And we were 3,000 feet, and we lost three of our engines in 
less than four minutes. Oh, my goodness. And we were headed down. And uh, fortunately, we were able to recover, start the engines, restart the engines, and, and get home safely. But it was an absolute uh, nightmare. Yeah. Ter- very terrifying. You change the underwear when you get home. Uh, when you touch, uh-huh. the, you, you kiss the ground when you when you do those. Um, hurricanes are, are they just so as I mentioned? They look almost like uh, like this explosion is going on. I mean, these are they're just aside from the potential of destruction and loss of life and all those things. But the, from a scientific point of view, I mean, their size, their power—it's just really this. It's an amazing. A feat of nature, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's no other uh, system on Earth that can match the, the hurricane. Certainly, tornadoes are more destructive, uh, as we well know in this country. But in terms of the massive size of a storm and the havoc it can wreak, uh, uh, nothing can uh, top a hurricane. And things you get things like uh, well, uh, Superstorm Sandy, which I don't I, I don't remember whether it ever actually became a hurricane or not. But it was I mean by the time it hit land, it wasn't a hurricane, but was it was still this incredible force and and certainly had elements of of, of being a hurricane, right? It it did. Unfortunately, it didn't match what the uh, the necessary criteria for a hurricane. Right. It certainly had the winds and the and the storm surge and things like that. Uh, but it's got to have a warm core center in order to be considered a hurricane, and it did not. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, those are the kinds of things that uh, make us all uh, you know, really sit up and take notice. And uh, that's why we do our job, is to hopefully uh, keep people from uh, making the wrong decisions on, on evacuating, uh, things like that. Uh, we've come a long way in providing data to uh, the forecasting teams and the models to improve forecasts. And, you know, where some years ago they would issue a forecast for three days, then they moved to five days, now they're up to seven days. Yeah. And you look at that cone of uncertainty on the, on the Hurricane Center's uh, forecast page, and you see that cone of uncertainty narrowing quite a bit. So uh, I think we're making a difference. And, and yet you still deal with this cynical public that, uh, that they go, well, why aren't they more accurate? Why aren't they, you know, why aren't they, you know, and, and people will, you know, if a storm does track either further north or further south or, or out to sea or something like that, that people will go, ah, see, we evacuated for nothing. You get that kind of response. And in my sense always is people don't realize the, the complexities of forecasting these, these storms. That's right. They don't, and it is a very complex thing. And uh, uh, what makes it? Why is it so complex? Why? Why is this? I mean, there's so many. I, as again, a, a weather geek, I, I, all the different elements. You're dealing with winds and high pressure. And all the there's so many forces at work here. But why is this so hard? Well, you know, the models are uh, help us quite a bit, and the the models, of course, are no better than the data that are provided right. to them. And we're trying to provide better data all the time so that the, the models uh, provide better forecasts. Uh, it's very difficult because what controls the movement, movement of the hurricane is the environment around it. And what can turn, controls the intensity of the hurricane is partly the environment around it. Yeah. And trying to get the measurements in the environment when it's out to sea and you don't have any weather stations out there, uh, it's dif- dif- difficult. So... You know, our aircraft go out there and collect those data, and um, 
make a difference. Um, we mentioned that you've been doing this for uh, for a couple years now, and you you have to the changes in technology and and the, just the power of computing power and all sorts of is there uh, is there some particular thing that just was has been really transformative in terms of you being able to do your job well? There, well, of course, the uh, the platforms themselves, the aircraft, uh, have made a difference yeah. uh, since I first started, but. Uh, Several of the key uh, instruments that are providing uh, better information are the what we call the uh, GPS drops on that we uh, launch from our high altitude jet in the environment around the storm, and it goes floats down to the surface and provides a profile of temperature, pressure, humidity, and winds, which we process on the airplane, transmit via SATCOM uh, right into the models as they're being run, so that. Uh, this, this information in areas where there are no weather stations uh, is provided to the models and help improve the track forecast. That's one of the instruments that, that's really proved to be uh, of great value to uh, hurricane forecasting over the years. The other one is a, a, a system that we have a radar on the airplane, on our, both our P3s and the Gulfstream uh, tail Doppler radar. Uh, from which we can get wind measurements. I mean, it operates just like uh, the policeman standing alongside of the road. Uh, Doppler radar, he can measure your speed, yeah. and we're measuring the speed of, of the wind in the storm using the wind or the cloud particles as reflectors. And that data are going into the models now from the P3s and helping to improve the intensity forecast. Because now we get wind uh, maps of the wind all the way from the surface all the way up to the top of the storm. So uh, it's fascinating stuff, and uh, I think it's going to really improve our, our intensity forecast. And, and you mentioned uh, part of why you fly into these things is, is for the forecasting to understand this particular storm, but a lot of it is collecting, is for research. That's and, and the research is for what? So we can better know about these storms, and, and, and therefore it feeds the forecasting? Yes, uh, it's to better understand what's going on in the storm. So uh, when you have better instruments, you get better information, and it may refine your thoughts on the dynamics of the storm, what drives it, uh, things of that nature. And uh, so the, the research guys that we partnership with uh, have a whole set of different experiments that they do from ocean uh, atmosphere interactions to the drones that I mentioned before, to uh, oh any number of things, looking at the the physics of the clouds that are in the storm, uh, so all of that kind of information, all of it directed to trying to improve forecasts. Yeah, I I, I often ask people because um, you know there's you hear the conversations out there about hey, smaller government blah 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 blah, um, and and there's a lot of things that the government does that people will often say you know uh, you know why are we why is the government doing this. As I was preparing for our conversation, I was going, oh, this doesn't happen it happen in your space. But in fact, it does. Oftentimes, I hear people say, well, we have the Weather Channel, we have uh, AccuWeather and all these things. Why do we Why do we need people doing this? But, uh, well, what do you say to those folks, rather than my response? What, are, what, are, what do you say to people who say, hey, why, why, do we, why does the government need to be doing this? The private sector can do it. Well, where's the private sector going to get the data to start with? <laughs> I mean, they're, what they're doing is taking the data that we're providing right. and, you know, packaging it in a form that the public will like. 
I mean, that's their job. Uh, but somebody's got to go out there and collect those data to begin with, and that's what we do. Um, and, you go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and it takes a fairly large organization to be able to, to fund and, and provide the necessary uh, personnel to go out and do these things. I mean, this is not, uh, you don't do this on the cheap. It, right. It's a fairly expensive proposition. And uh, outside of the federal government, it, I don't think it's possible. Um, you, you've been doing this for, for five decades um, and, and must have seen so, so many changes. Um, and I'm always, I always like to ask folks, what would you tell your five decades ago when you were first starting this business, um, what would you say to yourself about, about your career and how you led it? Is there something, if you could write yourself a note and send it back to yourself back at that point in time, what, would, what kind of wisdom would you give yourself? Oh, my goodness. Uh, that's a good question, Chris. Uh, you know, I, it, it's been 50 years, uh, a little bit more, 51 years since I first came into the government as, as a research meteorologist. And then I, I graduated to this kind of work. But, uh, uh, and it seems like it was only yesterday that I started. So this whole 50 years has just gone through real fast. And uh, uh, it's been such a tremendous uh, job here at the facility doing what I do. And, uh, you know, if I could work another 50 years, I would. Uh, working for the federal government has its, certainly has its drawbacks. Uh, you are considered probably a second-class citizen at times by a lot of other people. But I tell you, uh, working with the people that I work with, you know, it's all about teamwork. And I, we have the greatest group of people here that, that uh, I've ever worked with in my life. And uh, it's just a wonderful experience. Uh, if I had to do it all over again, I'd do the same thing. And, and why did you, uh, 50, 51 years ago, why did you choose government work as opposed to uh, some other meteorologist job? Well, I came, after I got my degree, I wanted to do research. And the only place that was doing the kind of research that I wanted to do, which was ocean-atmosphere interactions, was in the federal government. So I was offered the job there, and I took it. And I worked a couple of years doing research, and then I transferred into the uh, aircraft facility uh, and started my career there. Um. So I want to close out asking you, uh, you know, every year the, the Hurricane Center puts out its forecast prediction what the hurricane year is going to be like. And, um, and, and it just seems to me that this is just a losing proposition, that it, what's the best that can happen is that you're right. Um, but, uh, and it's hard to be right, correct? Why is that, why is that important for, because so often I hear people grumbling, hey, why do they do this? They're, they're, they're just wrong all the time. Um, and it seems like... It's just like a, almost a setup to fail. Well, you know, these long-range forecasts yeah. are, of course, based on climatology and not on any known uh, data at the moment. So people look at the the uh, you know the, the weather, the climate uh, that's existing today. Well, you know, they actually start this in November. They forecast for the next hurricane season in November. And then they issue another forecast, I think, in April or May, and then another one in August. And you know, it's like a football game betting on what's going to happen. You bet at the beginning of the game, you bet at the end of the first quarter, at the halftime, and in the last two minutes. And, of course, you get to the last two minutes, you, you have a better chance of uh, really guessing what's going to happen. But it, it is. And 
I mean, there are certain environmental conditions that exist uh, that far in advance that these guys that do this, these forecasts uh, can get a good idea of what the next season will look like. Are we going to have an El Nino? That, that will certainly affect the hurricane season. If we're not going to have an El Nino, we'll probably have more storms, uh, those kinds of things. So uh, they have that information. It's, it's climatology, and uh, they can make this, these educated guesses is what I call them. And, you know, that's what they do. Yeah. Uh, they're small numbers. You've got to understand that, that, you know, you're dealing with 10 storms or 12 storms, and, and if you're off by two, then you get criticized. Right. So, so uh, you know, I, I really admire these guys sticking their necks out like that. Uh, but uh, that's part of, the, part of the whole forecast plan. Yeah, it's a, a really tough job to do, and and as again, there are so many factors, and and my sense is almost climate change has made this almost more complex because it, it's a whole other uh, factor that you have to consider in here, and and in some ways we're not exactly sure what this is going to do, right? Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, I won't be around when they figure it out. I know that. <laughs> we hope you are. Uh, <laughs> as I say, I I grew up on the West Coast. And it's been so interesting to live on the East Coast for, for all these years now, uh, because on the West Coast, they look at hurricanes the way I, East Coast people look at earthquakes. You know, it's right. just this terrifying thing, and, and people are just, like, apoplectically frightened of it. Um, and, and I think once you get, you know, it becomes just part of life at some point. Um, but it's, it's fascinating. Uh, James McFadden, Dr. James McFadden, sorry. He is uh, chief of programs and projects at NOAA's aircraft operations center. And he's a finalist for the career achievement category of the service to America medals. Uh, Dr. McFadden, congratulations. And thanks so much for spending time with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Chris. Enjoyed the conversation.